song they used to sing, don't give up on the brink of your miracle. That's all I know of it. That's all you get. <laughs> Chapter 3, <coughs> we got through uh, last week through verse 8, and we talked about the 14 marisms. That here comes Miss Tammy now. We just prayed for you, young lady, and Dave pushing her in here. That's great. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. And, and, and what we talked about, how that a, a merism is a way of writing poetry in the old Hebrew language. And oftentimes they would take exact opposites in order to make a point and to offset. So we have 14 of these different opposites that the writer of uh, Ecclesiastes mentions. And they cancel each other out. If you had a calculator and you typed in 14 and then you, you uh, subtracted 14, you know it would be zero, right? And so that's the point of these merisms. They use one point and then they add the exact opposite to the point so that when the final conclusion is given, they cancel each other out. And so you come to zero. And so at the conclusion of that, our, son, our, our writer, now again, we're talking under the sun, right? And we're ta- that's all the knowledge and revelation that he has right now. Uh, he, he has just enough wisdom and knowledge to be able to understand what is going on in the world around him and under the sun. So with all this information and with the lack of revelation concerning eternity, he makes this statement. He says, What does the worker gain from his struggles in verse 9? Have you ever felt that way? What good is this? What benefit is this that is coming from me? It's interesting that one of the commentators uh, brought about how that in Genesis chapter 3, when God is dealing with Adam and Eve after they've committed sin, he put a curse upon their work. He cursed their work so that everything that they did would be laborious. It would be difficult. It would be hard. It would would require strength and it would require a continual process because he cursed the work of their hand. When you get to Solomon, that curse has not been lifted. How many of you know the curse wasn't lifted? Until the New Testament when Jesus hung upon a tree and took the curses for us and set us free. But at this point, he's still laboring under the reality and the understanding that everything that we set our hands to do, our entire lives, everything is cursed by God. And so what gain is there from the struggles that we participate in. Then in verse 10, I have seen the task that God has given people to keep them occupied. He has made everything appropriate in its time. Now, who has a King James Version? Anybody? Raise your hand. Read it out for me, if you will. That, that one verse, 11. Okay, now I want to point out two or three things to you here. First of all is that word beautiful. Now that word beautiful is is not what we would uh, think of right off the bat. 
In the Hebrew language, this word beautiful really is better interpreted using the word um, appropriate. So he's saying everything is appropriate in its time. In other words, everything that God creates, and if you'll notice, it says he has made, that word is he has created. How many of you know that God is the creator? He was the creator. He spoke creation into existence, but everything that comes from his hand is still creative in nature. He, he, and so he said, everything that God has designed, everything that God has made, everything that is beautiful. Now let's link back, link back to Genesis during the creation process when it said, and God made this and God made that and God made this and that. And he said, it is good. He said, it's beautiful. In fact, he doesn't even make a negative comment until he gets over in chapter 2, I think it is, where he looks at Adam and he sees that Adam is alone and needs companionship. And he says, this is not good. Aloneness was not good. So then he created woman from the, from the rib of Adam. So we link, we link Genesis, everything is good that God makes, over to Solomon now in Ecclesiastes chapter 3 where he says he has made everything beautiful. Everything is appropriate in its time. Now, now, here's the best way that I can think of to explain this to you. How many of you have ever done jigsaw puzzles? Can I see your hand? Did you ever want work one of those like thousand piece jobs? Why would anybody do that? I mean, I mean, really, are we idiots or what? I mean, it's like, and, and so we go out and we buy these. I remember a long time ago, I used to think I'd like to make model cars. Now, I made about two of them, blew them up with firecrackers, and then decided I didn't want to do that anymore. But jigsaw puzzles come with this box of pieces, and every one of those pieces are necessary. Every one of those pieces bring a piece of beauty to the overall picture. But you have to place those, those pieces in their appropriate places. They don't just go anywhere. They don't just fit anywhere. And I don't know how you do it. I was always taught that you do the outside edges first. Now, you may not. You may want to be one of those extremely intelligent people that you start in the middle and work your way out. <clears throat> I don't know how you do it, but I do know this. I know that you cannot complete the beauty of that puzzle until every piece is put in place at the appropriate time. You can, you can do those on the computer now and you can just grab a piece on the computer and bring it over and try to put it into a place if it's not in the right place, it just makes this weird noise and goes right back to where it was. You can't put it in the puzzle, puzzle no matter how many times you try or no matter how hard you try. And I don't even care if you lay hands on it and pray for it. It won't happen because it's not, it's time, it's not appropriate. So just like a jigsaw puzzle comes together over time and comes together as the pieces fit together then when it is all put together, the beauty becomes evident. 
And so what Solomon is saying here is that we have a process that we have to live by that is according to God's creative process. It is part of what God has set in motion. You cannot get ahead of God. You may try, but just like the jigsaw puzzle won't go into place, you, 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 you know, it is possible to you, for you to force some issues that you really should not force. But, I, you know, I learned early on that if something is not fitting, you need to set it off to the side and realize that it may not be time for this yet. It may not be the next piece in the puzzle that will add to the beauty of what God is doing. So Solomon says, God says through Solomon, he has made everything. Say everything. Everything. Could it also be appropriate there to say everyone? He has made everyone beautiful in their time. Last, uh, yesterday, a couple days ago, I was reading the Old Testament scripture that says, how beautiful are the feet of them who bring good news. Amen. I like to be around people who bring good news, don't you? They build beautiful pictures. I don't like negative Nellies and doubting Dans and all that. I don't like to be around them. They make the air stink, in my opinion. <laughs> Did you know that you can create the atmosphere around you by the words that you speak, by the faith that you declare, by, by the words of your mouth, you can change the atmosphere. And, and, and so he, he's talking about beauty. And, and in that scripture about how beautiful are the feet, it says the watchmen that are on the walls hear the report that the beautiful footed person is bringing and they start dancing on the wall and praising the Lord and giving glory for the message that has been brought. You may not be dancing tonight, but I promise you, if it is in God's will for your life, it, there will come a time when it will be appropriate and all the pieces begin to fit together and the watchmen on the wall will join you in rejoicing what God has created. He has made everything appropriate or beautiful in its time. And it says he has also put eternity in their hearts. Now, in the first eight verses, he's talking about time. Let, let, let's just review real quickly. There is a time for everything. A time for every activity under heaven. A time to give birth. A time to die. A time to plant. A time to uproot. A time to kill a time to heal, a time to tear down, and a time to build, a time to weep, and a time to laugh, a time to mourn, and a time to dance, a time to throw stones, and a time to gather stones, a time to embrace, a time to avoid embracing, a time to search, and a time to count as lost, a time to keep, a time to throw away, a time to tear, and a time to sow, a time to be silent, a time to speak, a time to love, a time to hate, a time for war, and a time for peace. In the original documents and the original Hebrew language, that word time is used 29 times. Time. Now, you know what time is. Time is a period. 
we, we, we discussed this like last week. This word here in its context means an occasion. It's not unlimited. It's not, it's not forever. It's, a, it's, a, it's an occasion. My wife and I have been married for soon to be 38 years. But we only got married one time. It was an occasion. Man, she dressed up and put this white dress on, veil over her face, all that kind of stuff. She was looking good. I looked as good as I could with what I had to work with. And I'll never forget the day I'm standing there, nervous young 19-year-old kid, and the doors open and out, out steps the most beautiful woman I've ever seen in my life. It was an occasion. She's still beautiful to me, but she's beautiful in different ways. Because over time, I have learned who she really is. I've told you this before. At that point when we got married, I just liked her, really. I liked her a lot. But now, 37, 38 years later, I can say with complete certainty that I'm madly in love with the woman. I love her. But it has taken these occurrences, these, these seasons of growth that have created this, this time. But time is time is time is time. But now he says that God has put eternity in your heart. Now, eternity is not an occasion. Eternity is a happening. It, it, you know, God is described in Scripture as the one who was and is and, and always will be. He is eternal. He is eternal in every way. And then the Scripture says he put eternity in our hearts. Let me just stop long enough to say, when God made you and he created you, he put everything that you would ever need in you so that at the appropriate time, you would be able to make a decision as to whether accept Jesus Christ or to reject him. The scripture tells us that he puts a measure of faith in us. So what does that mean? That means that I am equipped to believe. When I am confronted with the truth of the gospel, I already have in me everything that I need to be able to say that is truth. I may not understand it all. I may have to begin a learning process to accept it all. But something inside of me just says, that's truth. Yeah. I remember when it happened for me. I remember I was in Fresno, California. I had grown up in the church. I had gotten saved at that point 200 million times. Sanctified, I don't know how many times. But it was all just a traditional happening for me. It was just a religious set of words that came out of my mouth. But something different happened in Fresno. I don't even know what the preacher said. I don't even know what the topic was. I don't know if he was spitting or not spitting. I don't know if he was hollering or not hollering. I know who it was. It was Bill Sheeks. But when he said whatever it was, he said something inside of me said, 
Now is the time, son. Grab it. Take hold of it. I've already put in you this faith that will activate. The problem is, is that after it activates, we have to grow it. We have to nurture it. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of the Lord. We get the word of God in us, and guess what? Faith starts building in us. That's the reason that God can heal men when they're preaching and have no voice, and they come to someone with Psalm 103 and says, you heal all of our diseases, and their voice is healed. It's because faith connects with the word of God, and there it happens in our lives. So he says eternity is in our hearts. Now, specifically what Solomon is saying here is that there is this inner desire to explore the reality of eternity. And and, and now he's talking about an occasion of life. You're born and then you die. He's talking about time. He's talking about a subset of time in eternity. I don't know how many years I'll live. I'm 57. I'm still healthy. I'm still going strong. And I I pray for a long time of effective, healthy living. But I don't know. I don't have any idea. I could drop dead tomorrow. I don't ever say I could drop dead today. I want to have time to pray about it before I have to make a decision. No, I'm just saying... I don't know. I don't have a clue. God knows. He knows how many days that I have allotted to to me. But I don't know. But I know this. I know that once I was conceived in the mind of the Father, then eternity started for me. I, in, in many ways, and you in many ways, we've always been. Because once... The idea formulated in God, God's mind, he knew it. The scripture says he knew you before you were conceived or formed in your mother's womb. He is the God who sees the beginning and the end and everything in between. And so he has set in us this curiosity about the afterlife. What are, you know, what is there to life? What is there more than this? We've all asked ourselves that question. And the reality is, is that there's much more than this. Now, I know I shouldn't get into it right now, but what Solomon is talking about is what I like to call pre-grace. But when Jesus came and changed everything, And lives in us and the Holy Spirit seals us. We're sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. And we're filled with the Holy Spirit. And then we're baptized in the Holy Spirit. And the scripture says all things pass away and behold all things become new. Now we're talking about not even just post grace. But we're talking about present grace. Current grace. I live every day of my life in grace. And knowing that there's a future for me. And so every word that I speak, every deed that I do, every thought that I think will affect my eternity because I'm laying up treasures 
in heaven. That's what the New Testament tells us. But Solomon didn't know any of that. You remember the very first week I was telling you that revelation is given to us by God on his terms and, the way, and, and, and in his timing. And when, when the first Christian, when the first Bible characters started walking with God, they didn't have a clue what they were doing. So they had to walk it out by faith. And there were a few steps that they took and they said, that probably wasn't a good step to take. I Do you remember Abraham? God spoke to him. I'm going to give you all these kids. Start, look at the stars. You can't number them. You can't number all the kids you're going to have. Follow me. Go with me. Where am I going? I ain't going to tell you yet. Just follow me. And Abraham starts, and then he starts walking in the flesh. He starts lying about who Sarah is. Well, she's my sister. Well, you know, half truth. But the reality was is that he was afraid See, he didn't know that later on somebody would reveal in Scripture that God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, of love, and of a sound mind. Abraham didn't know that yet. So he had to learn it from experience. And so Solomon is learning from experience. He's saying, you know, this is the way it appears to me. Under the sun, you know, these are facts that we have to deal with. So he's put eternity in our hearts. So it is that eternity then that should drive us to a relationship with Jesus Christ. It's that eternity. It's that realization that how I live now, what I do now, how, how I speak now, how I represent Christ now, that that will affect my eternity. Now, I'm not trying to scare anybody, but when we get there and when God starts judging, he's, he's going to take all the works of our hands and he's going to throw them in the fire. And you know, you know how that process is going to work. If they were done in the flesh with fleshly motives, it's going to burn up like stubble. But those things that were done and motivated by the Spirit of God that is within us, even if they were not successful here, God's going to say, it doesn't matter to me if it looks successful there or not. What matters to me is that you were faithful to my call, and he's going to throw it in the fire, and it's going to come out like purified gold. And I've stopped teaching, and I've started preaching. I don't I don't know the difference. <clears throat> so we learn how to live and operate with eternity in mind. If you're following Christ the way that you should be, and if the Spirit of God is in you, and we know that He is, there should never be a day of your life that you're not at least questioning motives and statements that you may have made. And thoughts that you may have thought and actions that you may have been involved with because the Spirit of God in you is the one leading you, guiding you, and directing you. And so he, he teaches us and he does that when we understand that eternity is in our heart. Then he goes on, verse 8, but man cannot discover the work God has done from beginning to end. We, we don't like to quote that. We don't want to quote that because what he is revealing is not just an Old Testament thing, 
but it is a reality thing that, that goes from beginning to end. And that is that as long as we live and no matter how spiritual we are and no matter how hard we study and how deep we dig, we will never uncover all of the revelation of God. Our vantage point is very small. But the problem is, is that many Christians, they limit what God would want them to see by obstructing the revelation of God through their mindsets and their attitudes and their actions. So we must be careful not to obstruct, but instead open the eyes of our hearts, Lord, so that we can see and hear and get the revelation. And if we get as much as we can get, then we'll still go out on our deathbed realizing that there's more of God that I could not get here on this earth, but praise God, I'm not dying. I'm just transitioning. And when I get to where I'm going with him, I'm going to spend eternity learning the full revelation of God. Eternity is in your heart. And that should, that should make you feel good. That should, that should pump you up. That should make you realize that it doesn't matter if I live 57 years or 77 years or 177 years because when I close my eyes in death here, I'm going to open my eyes in the presence of my Savior, Jesus Christ. For to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Eternity in my heart. Live for it. Live for it. I, you know, I went through that thing with my mom and dad and watched them, you know, as they went through that process of death. And, and I, I, I can just tell you, I, I believe that, that people come to a place where it's just, okay, I don't want to be here anymore. I'm done being here. I don't want to be here anymore because I know what eternity holds for me. Why would I want to cluck around with the turkeys when I can fly with the eagles? In my heavenly home. I'm out of here, boys. I'm going to be with Jesus. Okay. Verse 12. I know that there is nothing better for them than to rejoice and enjoy the good life. It is also the gift of God whenever anyone eats, drinks, and enjoys all of his efforts. I know that all God does will last forever. There's no adding to it. There's no taking from it. God works so that people will be in awe of him. <laughs> Whatever it is, he says, it's already been. It's no big deal. Don't think so much of yourself. I did something that had never been done before. No, you didn't. Not according to this. Whatever is has already been. And whatever will be already is. What does that mean? God has already created the path to everything that is needed to be done. The resources are there. The genius minds are already in place. Everything that will be already is in the mind of God. And he'll, cre he'll, he'll create when it's... God repeats 
what has passed. In other words, God will do again and again the things in us that need to be done so that we can be strengthened and matured in our faith. Isn't that good? I mean, that's good stuff right there. I like that. All right, let's go to verse 16. He said, I have observed under the sun there is wickedness at the place of judgment, and there is wickedness at the place of righteousness. I said to myself, God will judge the righteous, and he will also judge the wicked. (laughs) He said it to himself. He didn't say it out loud. Did you notice that? Since there is a time or an occasion for every activity and every work. I said to myself, this happens concerning people so that God may test them and they may see for themselves that they are like animals. Now hold on. Don't get upset yet. God didn't call you a dog. For the fate of people and the fate of animals is the same. As one dies, so dies the other. They all have the same breath. People have no advantage over animals since everything is futile. All are going to the same place. All come from dust and all return to dust. Who knows if the spirit of people rises upward And the spirit of animals goes downward to the earth. Now again, pre-grace, right? Under the sun, I have seen that there is nothing better than for a person to enjoy his activities because that is his reward. For who can enable him to see what will happen after he dies? Now, here's the whole point that Solomon is making here, is that we really don't know what eternity is going to be. The the only glimmer of information that we have is what is revealed to us in Scripture. You know, you you hear all these stories all the time of people dying, and they go through this white tunnel, and out out of, you know, they have this out-of-body experience, and then they come back, and they say, well, I... Yeah, I saw B.B. King, he was in heaven or whatever, and I, I don't, you know, and they come back with all these wild stories, and how do I know? I, I, I don't know if B.B. King's in heaven or not. He may have been a great man. I know he's a wonderful musician. I have no way of knowing if he's in heaven, nor can I say that he's in hell. Because I I don't know. I have never been there. And just so that you'll know, I don't ever have any intentions of going. I'm not even going to throw a broken off toenail down there. I'm going the other direction. What Solomon's saying here is very practical. How How can we, again, under the sun... This is without New Testament revelation that comes. He has no idea about that. He's saying, you can't know if there's a heaven, if there's a hell, if there's above, if there's a below. We can't know. 
we can't know if I'm going to go the same route as my dog is going to go. We don't know. And we do know, Scripture tells us, that when our bodies die, they decay, and where do they go? They return to the dust from which they came. But it ain't, it's not this body that we should be caring about. It's the soul of man. It, it's being spiritually in eternity with him. <laughs> As a pastor, I get all kinds of requests. For, Would you pray? You know, pastor, I need you to pray. I, I tell you, I've prayed for more dogs and more cats in my life than I can even imagine. I really have. So my cat's sick today, throwing up all over the house. Would you pray for my cat? Sure, I'd be glad to. Lord, heal that cat. Because I don't know if that cat's going to go to heaven or hell. Hell, and he needs, he needs salvation. We need to make sure, you know. We had years ago when the kids were real young, we were pastoring this church. And it, it, it's funny how things happen. We had this lady in our church that raised and bred little red miniature poodles, little little bitty things. And she came by the house and she said, I, I've got a puppy picked out for you. So I want those kids to have a puppy that they can grow up with, and I picked one out for you. So I said, well, thank you, ma'am. I appreciate that very much. I thought she was going to give us the dog. And when she brought the dog by the house, she said, hey, you can just pay me anytime you want to. And I looked at the dog and I said, I don't want to ever pay you. Is what I thought. I didn't tell her that. But the kids had already seen the dog. <clears throat> and so I said, well, bill me, will you? I, you know. So anyway, paid her for the dog. The, li- the dog lived 18 years. Hated my guts, the dog did. Wouldn't even walk across the room to greet me. She lived 18 years, but anyway, while she was still fairly young, uh, she got parvo. I don't know if you ever heard of that or not. It's some kind of sickness that animals get, and and so we took took the you know the dog to the vet and said you know she's not doing well and all that kind of stuff. And the kids, <laughs> Penny was her name. What was the rest of the name? Penny, Copper Penny, Baker's Copper Penny. That's what we called her. Yeah, when she died, she hadn't had much copper in her. I can tell you that. But we took her to the, to the vet and said, the vet said, look, they don't, they don't ever recover from parvo once they have it. Like this dog has it. Said, she just needs to be put down. And I said, <clears throat> and the kids are there. I mean, dumb me, you know what? And they said, dad. That, what the, the vet said, let me treat the dog She's going to die anyway. It'll cost the same amount of money. And the, and the kids, they said, let's lay hands on her and pray for her. And they, and they laid hands on that dumb dog and prayed for that dog. And the dog lived. 18 years. Well, let me tell you like Solomon would do. She didn't live forever. She eventually died. And when she did, I was the guy who buried that dog. 
I know where that dog's buried. And if I were to go back there today and uncover that dog, all I would find is red dirt because the body went back to the earth. Now, that's what Solomon's saying here. He said, hey, we're no different than the animals that roam this earth. When this thing is over, we're, we're, we're just going to the dust. So what's the point, he says? What's the point? And so then he gets back to this thing. If God gives you a gift, man, you ought to enjoy the fire out of that thing. If it has come from God's hand to you, then take that thing and enjoy it like nobody's business. That's what he's saying. If the gift of God comes to you, don't worry about it. Enjoy it because nothing else under the sun, nothing else counts for anything. Now, I'm going to quit right here uh, because I only have two more minutes. And I want to read a text that I got today from, to, from someone here in the church. And, uh, you know, when we started the book of Ecclesiastes, some of you said, Pastor, I'm not really excited about this because Ecclesiastes is the most boring book in the Bible. You remember, you remember me telling you that? I just can't get myself pumped up for this. Just, you know, I've been trying, I've been reading, I'm, but Ecclesiastes just is not all that exciting to me. So I got this text today. It said, Pastor, my husband and I plan on attending the young couples group this evening at 7, and my sister-in-law would like to come. This is a new family that's been coming for the last several weeks. My sister-in-law would like to come with her husband as well, and I know we have child care available, but she has a nine-year-old. Do you think they have a class for them? Thanks. I said, yes, ma'am. They have classes for all ages. He would go in the children's church area with Miss Liz. She said, we hated to miss this past Sunday, but, but our child was sick. But this sun, And this, Sunday, this coming Sunday, we will be out of town. Here's the part I want you to listen to. I have been listening to the sermons on the church app. The book of Ecclesiastes has always been my favorite. And even more now that you have explained it so well. It makes for great company on my three-hour drives back and forth to, to Knott County, where they're from. So I wanted you to know that at least some people like Ecclesiastes. Father, thank you for your blessings today. You've been good to us. And thank you for your word. I thank you that we are living in a time where your revelation is still being poured out to your people. And Lord, it, it's true that we have to live right now in this moment with the revelation that we have. But the good news is that we don't have to stay in this revelation because as long as we will seek you, you said, if anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who giveth to all men liberally and upbraideth not, and you will provide the wisdom that we need. So, Lord, give us the wisdom that we need so that we can continue on this upward trajectory of life that will ultimately lead us into eternity where we will spend it forever with you. Keep your hand upon us now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.